0: Is more football year round a good thing or a bad thing? We'll break it down just without Coach this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. This is me, the Iceman, Matt Freitz. Unfortunately, we do not have the coach here this week. Hey, you know what? We're human beings. Things happen. He is a family man. We've done this before, and he's not going to be able to join us for the next couple of weeks. But don't let that discourage you because it will not mean that it's going to be less of a product from us here at Iceman and Coach. The last time we came to you was Super Bowl Sunday. That was February 12th. And my apologies that we have not come to you since then. We decided after the Super Bowl, which is a huge event, to take a little bit of a break. In the content game, you find yourself constantly wanting to churn out content. And sometimes you need to take a little bit of a step back. And unfortunately, we don't have a team of interns or anybody else who can come substitute in for us. So we have to take the break ourselves. And it was a nice little respite. I turned 40 years old. I had a great weekend with family. And we are back this week, or I am back this week. And I want to break down the event that was the Super Bowl. But before we get into that, I just want to tell you and thank you, every single one of you who tuned in to the big game pre-show Bedlam show that we did from 12 to 1 o'clock on Super Bowl Sunday. It was an absolute blast. Coach and I had a great time drafting football players from TV and movies. It was awesome. Any of you who have watched the show or know anything about us know how much we love football, know how much we have respect for the game. And there's a lot of movies that take and pay a lot of homage, I guess, to the game of football. I also want to give a shout out to my man Braylon, our new subscriber here at Iceman & Coach. He was actually awesome enough to watch that broadcast, and he gave us his team. And I just want to always shout out the new people that we have and shout out you, the supporters and listeners, because without you, there is no show. So the Super Bowl is an event. I don't think that it's crazy to say that. I don't think that it's crazy to say that it may be the biggest spectacle in terms of American sports and maybe even internationally in some respects that has ever been created. The NFL has done a fantastic job in creating this event that seems to bring a lot of people together. Not everybody loves football. As a matter of fact, I would say that football is probably one of the most divisive sports on the planet because there's a lot of violence that happens. And even the NFL, who traffics in so many different things, there are a lot of morality issues. And I think people are turned off by the product. And I can fully understand that. I've been watching football for a very long time. Some of my greatest memories from childhood are watching old Patriots games well before Tom Brady, well before Drew Bledsoe with my dad, and him going through these one and 15 seasons, two and 14 seasons with Dick McPherson as their coach. And there was a lot that we did together, but not everything was great. Fast forward to today, the last 20-something years, the Patriots have been great. They have had a lot of success. We've seen a lot of Super Bowls, and those memories stick with me. All those times on the couch, all the superstitions that we had, changing seats, wearing different shirts, watching the game on another channel, you name it, we did everything to try to make it more successful for the Patriots. But now I think today, football is so much more of a global sport. I think it has a little bit more of a global appeal. At least that's what the NFL is trying to do. They're trying to move teams to Jacksonville. They're having games in Germany. So the NFL is trying to expand very similarly to the way that the NBA expanded to China. And I think they've done a great job of making it at least more appealing in that way. But the Super Bowl has always been appealing. I think if I give the NFL a little bit of credit, it's the fact that they have managed to do what many things can't do on a consistent basis, and that's marry pop culture and football or sport here in the U.S. And I think that when you look at the overall product of the Super Bowl, it's taking a game that everybody loves. So obviously, all the sports fans are going to watch the game. Many people are gonna to go to Super Bowl parties, so it is a reason for us to gather in commune And there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing that more often. And it's always a great excuse to get together. It's a great excuse to have good food, to drink good beer, whatever it is that you do on the Super Bowl. And then the halftime show is something that is polarizing many years or at least people gravitate toward it. It's magnetic because usually it is a superstar or many superstars that have sort of transcended pop culture and music. And then some of us even love the commercials. Now I have to admit that the commercials have taken a little bit of a dive over the last few years. I don't find them to be as compelling as they used to be. There are obvious hits, there are obvious duds, and then there are some that are kind of not memorable. And I remember way back in the day, the commercials used to be almost all memorable. And maybe I just think of it through rose-colored glasses, but lately there haven't been many. But the Super Bowl itself I thought was really, really great. I think that in today's world with social media and everything, people want to be critical, and people are going to find something to be critical about. And I thought from start to finish the game was excellent. I thought the festivities were excellent. And at the end of the year, it was a great football season. And I think that we were given a great event to have the season go out on. Now, I wanna touch on a few things and then we're gonna get to the game. First of all, the national anthem. Now, the national anthem is a polarizing thing in this country because there are many people who feel as if our country's patriotism is tied to that song. And sport has had the precedent set that we are going to perform the national anthem at the beginning of every single game. And say what you will about whether we should or shouldn't. It is what it is at this point, and we are doing that. But I think sometimes when you talk about the Super Bowl, we need to find the right person to do the national anthem. And many times it's artists that I've never heard of. Sometimes they are. And there is a prop bet that goes around about how long is it going to take? Is it going to be over a certain plus or minus? And this year, Chris Stapleton did the national anthem. He is somebody that I very much enjoy musically. I think he has transcended him country music. I know that he has lumped into country music. He has some songs that kind of, embody that quintessential country sound. But for the most part, he is doing things that no country musician is doing right now. His version of the national anthem was spot on in many ways. It was simple, but it was also unique to him. And I thought that the camera people from Fox did an excellent job of getting Nick Sirianni's face, obviously filled with emotion. Now, Earlier in the broadcast, the broadcast crew had talked about how Nick Sirianni said when he was talking to them pregame that he wasn't going to let the emotion of the game get to him except in that moment. And I think what better time to let the emotion of the game bring you or the emotion of the journey come to you right before you're about to do this. I mean, there are a lot of people who have never been to a Super Bowl. So getting to one Super Bowl is definitely a privilege and it is something you should not take for granted because you may not get back. It's very difficult to do that. So I thought that really set the tone for the game. And then the game starts. Now, this game was interesting for me because I didn't feel as if there was a clear-cut winner. Many years going into the Super Bowl, the teams are not as even as they are this year. And there's one team that sort of feels a little bit of a cut above. Because sometimes in the NFL, you have upsets that take place, teams that are there, maybe even shouldn't even be there. And sometimes there are matchups that feel a little bit lopsided. And just because they're lopsided on paper doesn't mean they'll be lopsided in the game. But I think a lot of times America has a gut feeling as to who is going to win. And the Philadelphia Eagles came into this game having not really been tested during the regular season. And I want to caveat that with, it doesn't mean that they're not a good team. It just means that they didn't have that moment during the season where we felt right there. That is a defining moment that is going to give them momentum throughout the rest of the year. They were just more talented than a lot of other teams. And the schedule that they played, they were more talented than basically every single team that they played when they played them. They never really played a team like the Chiefs, but we know that their defense was historic in terms of getting to the quarterback. Their offensive line was one of, if not the best in the league. And their quarterback, their young quarterback, Jalen Hurts, was playing out of his mind and not turning the ball over. All of those things are a recipe for success when it comes to winning championships and winning the Super Bowl. So they were coming in with a lot of momentum, having not really been tested in the playoffs. And then the Chiefs come in with a pedigree, having won a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. They went to one in 2020 and lost. And Patrick Mahomes seems as if he's found another gear. I'm not really sure how that's possible. He lost Tyreek Hill in the offseason. They retooled, and they really retooled the offense in a way that somehow got Patrick Mahomes to over 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns this year. Raise your hand if you realize that that was happening in real time. I know for myself, having not seen the big splash plays that we are used to from them, yes, Kelsey had a great year, but without Tyreek Hill running down the field, the Cheetah, it didn't seem as if they were as flashy as they had been in years past. I did notice that over the course of the two weeks between the championship game and the Super Bowl, that the narrative within the media seemed to be shifting a little bit toward the Eagles. And when you got to that pregame, every single analyst on that panel picked the Eagles to win. And the Eagles came out gangbusters, and that maybe is an old dusty term, but they came out and really dominated the Chiefs much of the first quarter. Jalen Hurts was on fire. The offense was on fire. And it seemed as if the Chiefs really couldn't get a rhythm on offense. And Mahomes really looked pedestrian in the first half. And the Eagles looked dominant super dominant, the way that you thought that they would based off the fact that their offensive line was the best in the league. They were bullying the defensive line of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I thought that it was very interesting how that game was going early on. And really, Jalen Hurts had arrived. He had said to himself and clearly was making a statement to everybody who doubted him, I am here and you best put some respect on my name. And the stats certainly backed that up. Now, there was one play in the first half that I think really changed the complexion of the game, and. And the way it changed the complexion was it really allowed the Chiefs to stay in it. And that was the fumble recovery from Jalen Hurts that the Chiefs ended up bringing back for a touchdown. And maybe in the moment, that is not game changing or game flipping because it didn't give the Chiefs the lead and many other things happened, but it kept the Chiefs in the game. It kept them within striking distance, no matter how poorly they were playing or pedestrian they were playing, they were still in that game. And the Eagles allowed them to stick around. Even at halftime, the Eagles had a 24 to 14 lead, and that's a 10 plus point lead, which not many teams have blown in Super Bowl history. As a matter of fact, and maybe this is giving away a stat of the week, only one other team had blown a lead like that. And we'll get to that a little bit later. So the Eagles come out in the second half and you think to yourself, okay, they've got a stranglehold on this game. Mahomes was seen limping in the first half so much so that you thought he couldn't even walk. And the Kansas City Chiefs come out and put on what I feel is a veteran clinic in the second half. Andy Reid is a Super Bowl-winning coach. He has been around a very long time. He's seen everything, and he knows how to coach his players. He knows exactly how to scheme to get the most out of his players. And the irony is, in the second half, the Chiefs won the football game by running the football. They were the better team up front. And the defense of the Philadelphia Eagles did not get to Patrick Mahomes one time. And Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs ended up winning this game on a game-winning drive. They scored 24 points in the second half. They actually scored on every single drive in the second half. Now, there were a couple narratives coming out of this game that I thought were a little bit unfair, at least in terms of how great the game was, because I think ultimately it was one of the best Super Bowls we had seen. And that's not recency bias. Now it's almost two weeks past. But I think objectively, it was a great game. And there were two narratives coming out of this game. First was the field conditions. Now, I have to say this. I'm going to take the NFL to task here because they had two years to prepare for this, or at least that was the narrative that was going around, that they were saying it took two years to prepare this field and something like $80,000 or $800,000 was spent to make this turf and make sure that it was ready for this game. The field's conditions flat sucked. There's no way to talk around that. Players were slipping left and right. A lot of players were changing cleats. Jalen Hurts actually changed cleats in the first half. Some players maybe didn't even have a change of cleats, which is on really the equipment staff, but my point being is players were slipping all over the place, and I think that it had a gigantic impact on the Eagles' defensive line in the second half. A lot of those guys are used to bursting to the quarterback and having their way in terms of getting that leverage that you need once the ball is snapped. And I don't think they were able to do that. And the Chiefs were able to take advantage. The Chiefs offensive line did not give up a sack to a team that had been historic in terms of sacking the quarterback. The Chiefs offensive line bullies the Eagles defensive line in the second half, and it really changed the narrative of the game the conditions of the field is something that you should be able to get right the first time. And I think it is solely on the NFL and whoever else is in charge of getting that field to where it needs to be. It's unacceptable to have that. That was not really the narrative I think that most people were honing in on, although it was a narrative that was talked about. The one everybody was focused on was the referee. Interestingly enough, 98% of the game, the referees did their job. They let the players play. They called penalties that were obvious, of course, but they really did not call a lot of penalties in this game And I think the way that they officiated the game for much of the game, like 98% of the game, I think it was consistent. And that's really what you want out of refereeing, isn't you want consistency. And then on the last drive, the flag comes flying and it's on an incomplete pass. that Mahomes threw basically out of bounds. And the call is defensive holding on the Eagles. Now, This goes back to our discussion that we had, or I had with Coach, about the late hit on Patrick Mahomes in the AFC Championship game. That was a lot more egregious than this call. This call, by technicality, was a hold. And yes, the timing of it sucks, but the thing about it that really bothers me is it was not consistent with how the game had been called up until that point. And I wasn't somebody who wanted the Eagles to win. I actually really didn't have a horse in this race, but I let out an audible groan. And my wife sitting next to me asked, do you want the Eagles to win? And I said, it has nothing to do with who is going to win this game. The sucky part from a viewer perspective, somebody who loves football, is the fact that that call right there deprived us of seeing the Eagles get the ball with enough time left to do something, maybe even win the game, tie the game, whatever. And with a game that had been so great up until that point, with both teams punching each other, it was basically like a heavyweight fight where one guy had him on the ropes and the other guy comes back, back and forth, back and forth. And the team, the Eagles, I mean, deserve the chance to be able to come back and cement their legacy as Super Bowl champions. And that call, well, again, technically right. It just it really left a sour taste in my mouth because the narrative of a game of that magnitude should never be about the referees. And I think the way that they officiated the game was consistent until that moment. And you don't want to see that. Ultimately, in the end, the Chiefs pull out the victory. They get their second Super Bowl under Patrick Mahomes and under Andy Reid, and it cements their legacy. Andy Reid is going into the Hall of Fame one day. Patrick Mahomes probably would go into the Hall of Fame today or five years from now if he retired today. And I think it cements a lot of legacies. Now, the question coming out of this for me is not really about the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs window may be shorter than people think, but it may be as long as Patrick Mahomes' career because they've gone by that period where your quarterback now needs to get paid he's already getting paid and they're going to restructure that to make it work. They are going to lose Kelsey at some point because he is a little bit longer in the tooth than people realize. But clearly this year showed me that they can retool if they are sort of recycling talent, that they can call a different offensive scheme to maximize and get the most benefit out of the players that they have on the field. And that's what you want. The Eagles, I think there are a few more questions. I don't think that there's questions about Jalen Hurts because I think that he arrived in this game and I think that his potential is very, very high. I think that Jalen Hurts' ceiling is 100% married to the idea of having the right scheme and the right personnel. And I'm not sure that they can do that consistently over the course of time, because Jalen Hurts is going to get paid, and they have a lot of free agents on the books. And I think that this window of the Eagles may not be as long as people think. It may be very similar to the way that the Eagles were when they won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. But I think that they are more stable at quarterback. And that's the hard part sometimes, is that stability at quarterback. How they fill the gaps around the quarterback will be interesting to see. And I don't know what their cap situation is, but they're going to have to draft well. They're going to have to make hits in free agency, and they're going to have to pay Jalen Hurts. All of that is very, very difficult to do. But in the end, I think that they are a smart organization. They have been very aggressive. And now that they know that they have their guy at quarterback, I think they know what they can do for the future. And that actually brings me to a narrative coming out of this week that is sort of related to the Kansas City Chiefs, because one of their coaches, Eric Bienemi, has been in the news for the last few years in the offseason because of his inability to get a head coaching gig. And I find all of this very, very fascinating because we have seen guys who are really crappy at their job. And let's think Adam Gase, Nathaniel Hackett, guys like that who are constantly given second chances in the NFL. Eric Biennemi is coming out of this game now, a two-time Super Bowl champion. And he is coming out with currency, as Cleve would say. And I think that that's fair to say that. And my question is, what is happening in between the lines, whether it's in an interview, whether it's in the way people talk about you behind your back, what is happening that is preventing Eric Bieniemy from getting a head coaching gig? Now, the news coming out this week is Eric Bieniemy was named the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. But I think there's a few things about this that are just below the surface that are interesting to talk about. Number one, taking a lateral offensive coordinator position when he is a two-time Super Bowl champion and going to a team like the Commanders, who really are a terribly run organization. And no offense if you're listening and you're a Commanders fan, but no good. And then, of course, there's the idea that he is now being named the assistant head coach. And what does that mean exactly, the assistant head coach? I mean, obviously, intuitively, it means that he is second in charge. But it's almost as if they're giving him like a pity head coaching job in a way. And my question is why? Is Eric Biennemi really not the reason why they were that good? Is he not the reason why Patrick Mahomes was that good? Was Andy Reid really calling the plays? Was Andy Reid really making the schemes? I actually don't know. LaShawn McCoy has been in, in the news and all over social media talking about how he's not a, a team guy, how he's not a great coach. He's not a leader of men. And that's something that Jeff Saturday said that he was. I can lead men to one win, by the way. But what is it about Eric Bieniemy is not translating to a head coaching gig? Even if he's not a player's coach, look at all the coaches that have been successful that have not been player's coaches. Bill Parcells, namely. Even Jimmy Johnson wasn't a player's coach when he was in his heyday. And so why can't he get an opportunity? To me, him taking this position and having to be caveated in his contract that you're an assistant head coach is really an indictment on the NFL. It's an indictment on the fact that for some reason, black head coaches, even though they are at a disproportionate rate to white head coaches, and I'm talking about all over the league, black players are predominantly the makeup in the demographics of the NFL personnel. And so Eric Bieniemy should be getting a head coaching job, and he should have gotten it last week. What's it going to take? So two Super Bowls isn't enough. So what is he going to have to do? Win a Super Bowl with the commanders? Will that be enough? It seems to me, though, that maybe the unspoken narrative here is that Ron Rivera is on a very, very short leash. And if the commanders start, let's say one and three, goodbye, Ron Rivera and hello, Eric Bieniemy. The crappy part about that, though, is they should have just given it to him outright. If they wanted to make him the head coach, make him the damn head coach. And that goes to any team in the NFL. Eric Bieniemy should have been a head coach by now. He has two Super Bowl rings that he was an integral part of. He's calling plays. He's the offensive coordinator with Patrick Mahomes. And maybe that's part of the issue. Maybe the issue is that he is flanked by Andy Reid, who is a Hall of Fame coach, and Patrick Mahomes, who is like a generational talent, an all-time talent. And maybe people can't decipher whether it's actually Eric Bieniemy, But it's gotta be some of him, doesn't it? And for some reason, the hiring process in the NFL is completely incapable of giving him that rub. And it just, it bothers me. And he has to take this job and it feels like a pity hire. And he's gotta go and prove himself. And for what? For what? He has two Super Bowls, what the hell does he have to prove? It just really grinds my gears, as you can tell. So the NFL season is over, football is over, at least professional football that we are used to is over. This week, Coach and I, were going to get into some college basketball, and we're going to try to transition to some of these sports that bridge the gap between the Super Bowl and opening day of the NFL in September. But with him not here, I do want to talk about the XFL a little bit, because people probably said, what do you mean no football? We have the XFL and the USFL. And I want to dive a little bit into that, because I think it's worth noting. I think that the NFL having a little bit of a competition isn't a bad thing. But if you're sitting here thinking that the XFL and the USFL are going to be real competition to the NFL, you're delusional. There's no way that it's going to happen. It's very similar in my mind to WWE and AEW. I think AEW is the closest thing that's going to come to being WCW back in the day. They're not going to threaten WWE's revenue. They're not going to threaten their position in the hierarchy. And it's very similar here. The XFL and the USFL is minor league football. I think that there is a place for that, though. And if you looked at the opening weekend for the XFL, there's a lot of things that the XFL is doing that I think is great in terms of development for the NFL. And I think this is where the next opportunity needs to come. The NFL needs to look at the XFL and say, "Okay, we have an opportunity here. Let's take you under our wing. Players are going to get paid more. They're going to get opportunities to shine. And let's almost call it like a developmental league. The NBA already does this. When a player is drafted and is struggling, they can go down to the G League. They can try to hone their skills and come back. And yeah, I get it. A lot of players don't end up coming back, but at least in football, you're getting snaps. You're getting game opportunities. And sometimes that is critical to finding out if a player has it or not. How would we have known Tom Brady was Tom Brady if he didn't get the chance to play? And think about how many countless players over the course in the history of the NFL have never seen the field and we've never actually seen what they're made of. Look at what happened with Geno Smith. Geno Smith was written off because for eight or nine years he was seen as a crappy quarterback. He gets his chance with a not great roster in Seattle. I mean, yeah, he had DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, but it's not as if they're world beaters. And look at the season that he had. And he's gonna get paid because he had a great season. Look at Josh Rosen, never really saw the field, and he's gone. He never really had a chance in the NFL. A guy who was so highly touted coming out of UCLA. And there you go. So the XFL and the USFL are providing opportunity. There's an opportunity to try different rules. There's an opportunity for players to get playing time, to get seen. And I think that there is a way for these coaches in the NFL to get another shot as well. I mean, coaches benefit from this too. I mean, imagine if you are a coach in the G League or the XFL and you win a championship. That elevates you. It gets people to look at you and notice you. And I'm not saying that there are coaches in the NFL that don't already have that experience, but if you get that experience because you can't get in the NFL, again, it's experience. We need to be providing that opportunity. But I just don't want people to have the expectation that the XFL is great football. Was it entertaining this weekend? Yes, because I love the kickoff rule. I love the onside rule. I love the fact that we're taking the kickers out of the game completely. I don't even understand why we have kickers in a game that is decided by literal inches on the field. And sometimes the kickers could make or break a game. Give the offense the choice to go out there and do what they do. I absolutely love that. I felt like XFL 2.0 didn't really lean into that enough. And I think that in 3.0, we're seeing a little bit more of a strategic look because, again, this is the opportunity to try these kinds of rules out. And you already hear the NFL percolating on, hey, we're going to steal that idea. I think the kickoff idea is a wonderful idea. They can't actually move or make contact until the receiver has actually received the ball. It's made for some exciting kickoff returns, but also a lot safer kickoff returns. That's a win win for the NFL. So I think that the NFL and the XFL, hopefully at the end of this season, will come together and have a partnership. And boy, If The Rock is able to pull that off, what a coup, because the NFL has not really wanted to partner with anybody, but now they can take a little bit of that, I don't know, uncomfortable nature around NCAA football and all that. And I know that the NCAA and college football has become more of a pro product and they're getting paid for image and likeness and all that, but now there can be an in-between guys don't have to feel like they can declare for the NFL draft right away. Even if they have four years of eligibility, they can go play in the XFL, hone their skills, get seen, then make a roster and do what they have to do to make a team at the NFL level. But if the idea is that this is gonna be competition, the XFL will be gone, the NFL will be here, and the NFL is just a superior product. The best players in the world play in the NFL. Hard stop. The XFL will never have that because why would a player not play in the NFL if he's capable and go play for the XFL? It's just asinine. There is not enough infrastructure and money to have these high-valued players playing in the XFL. And so I think the XFL has an opportunity. I hope it continues to be successful this season. I'll be interested to see what names pop up in terms of popularity, looking to go to another team in the NFL, because again, they're gonna be playing in this offseason. Guys are gonna be getting snaps. They're gonna be having the opportunity to have a highlight reel. NFL teams are gonna take notice. You don't have to cut down that 53-man roster until a lot later in the offseason, So there's going to be a lot of opportunity there. So I am sort of excited about that, but I want people to taper their expectations. So we've reached sort of the end of the show. It's going to be a lot shorter than it normally is because, quite frankly, without Coach here, there's not enough to really talk about and banter about. And with a lot of these sports percolating, the NBA has passed its all-star game. The NHL is getting up on its all-star game and has passed it. And baseball pitchers and catchers have reported We're gonna be getting into spring training very, very soon. And I promise you, Iceman and Coach is going to be there every step of the way because we want to talk about sports. We are a show for the casual sports fan. You don't have to be in the know or a sports nerd to be into this show. We're not diehards. We love the games. We love sports. And we love to talk about it. But really what we love to do is talk about it with you because you, the fans, are what make this possible. And I think that without you, we don't have a show. So I hope that you stick with us for the rest of the season, but that doesn't mean that this episode is over. We do have one more thing to get into. Iceman's stat of the week. Every single week, we like to do something called of the week, OTW. This week, we're going to do Iceman stat of the week. So earlier in the broadcast, I talked about how there were two teams that had blown a 10-plus point lead at halftime of the Super Bowl, and one of them was the Philadelphia Eagles. And this is not great company to be in. The other one was the Atlanta Falcons with their historic blowing of a lead to the New England Patriots a few years back. Matt Ryan will never live that down. The Falcons franchise has never really lived that down. They've never really been the same. And what a terrible, terrible association. And this is why I say the Philadelphia Eagles window may be a little bit shorter than people realize. It's very, very difficult to get back to the Super Bowl. And I think that we should have caution. And even though they have a good quarterback situation, Matt Ryan had just won the MVP that year. He's going to be out of the league this year. The Falcons never really amounted to anything and actually blew more leads as that happened. So clearly it was a franchise-defining loss for them. I don't think that's gonna be the same case here because I think a 10-point lead is a lot different than 28-3. to But man, the way that they played in that first half, a disappointing end to the season for the Philadelphia Eagles. And you'd like to think they're gonna be back, but it's just another way of saying getting to the Super Bowl and winning is very difficult. Do not let the New England Patriots' success fool you into thinking that that is the case. I think they are an outlier, I'm not sure that we'll ever see that again, but now there are two teams who have blown a 10-plus point lead at halftime, the Philadelphia Eagles of this year and the Atlanta Falcons after 28-3. So that is my stat of the week this week. This is the end of the show. I want to thank you for tuning in this week. Coach will be back in a couple of weeks, but I promise next week we will have a guest. Maybe it'll be Cleve. Maybe it'll be somebody else, but I hope to have another voice and another opinion happening next week. Please support the Pub Time Podcast, which is where you can find Coach in his other form. They're doing a lot of great work, so go find them wherever you find your podcast. Please visit the Matty Ice Media Network website, mattyicemedia.com, to support this show, political football, my other podcast called Fire Footwear. Any sneaker lovers out there, you definitely want to check that out. And I hope that this finds you well. I hope that this finds you safe. And I hope that next week, we can have a little bit more fun than we had this week. But take care, everybody. This is Iceman and Coach. opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.